0: Friends, at the the gathering at the moment, we're having a little series called Good Gathering. We're thinking about what it means to come together as God's people. And uh, tonight we're thinking about one particular thing, which is communion. In a few minutes' time, we're going to break bread and drink wine together. As one of the things that Christians have done for thousands of years. So, we're going to start off with a Bible passage that anchors us and tells us what we should be doing. So, if you've got access to a church Bible, uh, we are on page 1152. Otherwise, if you're opening up your phone, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 17. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 17. We're going to pray. And then tie in. Heavenly Father, we pray that tonight you will open your word. We will understand how better we can gather as your people and obey you. Amen. Verse 17, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul said, in the following directives, I have no praise for you. For your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. And to some extent, I, be, I believe it. No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. So that when you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For when you're eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another one gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For Those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many among you are weak and ill and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we're judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together. Anyone who is hungry should eat something at home so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. And when I come, I will give further instructions. So in almost any church you go to in the world, at some point, whether it's every week or every month or maybe once or twice a year, almost every church, they will break bread and drink wine together in obedience to what Jesus said here. I say most churches, there are some, I think the Salvation Army here in England is is an example. There are some that don't do it. They don't do it because of uh, issues of helping people who've got alcohol addiction, which I I kind of understand. But most churches, it's kind of one of the things that everybody does. All do it in different ways, different languages, different forms, different shapes. We've changed here at St. James, haven't we? Before COVID, we had couple of big cups we all shared. I don't think we're ready for that yet. We've got little cups to be COVID safe. We used to have one big loaf. we now got uh, little pieces of, of bread that we share out. Um, so we've changed the form, but we all do it together. And yet, it is still incredibly divisive. There are churches in Muswell Hill that you and I can't go into to take communion. There are churches that won't recognize us. There are churches that won't recognize others. It's a massively divisive thing. I don't want us to be romantic and think, oh, back in the day, it used to be wonderful and it's all fallen apart. From the very earliest days, and 1 Corinthians is a really good example. It's one of the earliest Christian letters. From the very earliest days, it went wrong. Our little series is called Good Gathering. Look at where I began tonight, verse 17. Verse 17. In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. Imagine someone said that about St James. Don't go there. They call it the gathering, but it's a dreadful gathering. It does more harm than good. What are you saying, isn't it? In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and sometimes it's hard to know. Which bits of Paul are him being scornful? Which bits of him are being straight? Which bits of him have got quotation marks around? I think some of this has got a bit of scorn in there. No doubt there have to be divisions among you. But look at verse 20. This is, this is awful. So that when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. Come to a communion service. Paul says it's not a communion service. Come to the Lord's Supper. Ah, 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 says Paul. Whatever else you're doing, you may have bread, you may have wine, but you're not doing the Lord's Supper. So what's going wrong? Well, let, let's paint a little picture. I think it, from what we know about Corinth, it goes something like this. They would have met, like most early Christian churches, in a home. Now, by a home, don't, don't think of the kind of houses we have. You think of a Roman villa. That would have been a nice courtyard, maybe with a fountain playing in the middle with some, some fish, and a, a nice courtyard, and people sitting around that courtyard. You've got quite a number of people, like tonight. They would have had a dining room, but that would have probably only held 12, 15 people. So to get everybody in, you had to be sitting around a courtyard, and that's fine. Except that we kind of all finish work. Not many of us will be working today on Sunday, so we can all get here in time. But of course, they didn't have one day or a week off back in those days. Many of their members were slaves who had no days off at all, and they'd have got there late, if at all. So, they were gathering in someone's home around a courtyard, and they were, and this is, I think, one of the big differences between what the early church did and what we do. They met to have a meal. We, we give out a, a little bit of bread and a little bit of wine. They had a decent dinner. We'll come back to why shortly. They had a decent meal. But it was a meal with a meaning, it was a meal that was wrapped around the idea of the bread and the wine. And Jesus' death, but this rather nice meal was available at. Well, let's imagine. Should we say six o'clock was dinner time? Good time to have dinner. Yes. You all rock up. You have a nice. Day, except the slaves, because the slaves, of course, have to get the dinner ready. They have to serve it. They have to wash up afterwards. So they arrive round about half past seven. At which point the food is gone, and so has the wine. The people who got there at 6 o'clock managed to drink all the wine. That's why Paul says, some of you are drunk. They drank all the wine. There's nothing left for the slaves who arrive late. They've eaten all the food. So the second class, I don't know if it was just the slaves. But somehow or other, they staggered turning up so that some people go home full, some people go home empty. And instead of doing something together, they're doing it in dribs and drabs. And this meal, which is meant to be a meal with a meaning, has become something really quite self-indulgent. Haven't you got homes to eat in, he says? Can't you you just... If you're going to have a nice feast privately, just do it privately. Don't have divisions. Don't split off into these different groups. So, he's got a problem with what they're doing. But rather than just doing a finger wag, he actually says so here's what you do do. Here's what's going right. Here's, if you like, here's the plumb line, the plumb center that you can measure yourself against, and then we can work out what's going wrong. And he starts by telling us what Jesus did the night before he died. By doing that, he shows us how breaking bread and drinking wine together points us in different directions. So let's see what he says. Join with me in the, in the middle as he, as he puts it, starts to put it right. Verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. So the first direction the Lord's Supper points us to is backwards. It's an acted, kind of formal restaging, if you like, of the Last Supper. Remember the Last Supper? It was a a meal where Jesus gathered with his 12 disciples the night before he died, and he kind of explained what was going to be happening to him 24 hours later. And he used these pictures of bread and wine to explain that he was going to die for them. And if you, if you want the simplest way, really, of understanding what happens in a communion service, you're, you're kind of, by eating the bread, you're saying, I want all the benefits, all the blessings that Jesus died to be mine When you drink the wine, you're saying, Jesus died for me. When the wine's just sitting there in a cup, you're saying, I understand, Jesus died for sinners. When you drink it, you're saying, Jesus died for me. It's a personal thing. So, the Lord's Supper points us backwards. It reminds us time and time again of Jesus' death. And it's very particular because Jesus did lots of other things. He talked about lots of other things. There's lots of other things that we should think and talk about. But Jesus said center stage of everything he did was his death. And that's why when we put together our services here, we always try to choose a prayer that keeps the spotlight on Jesus' death. Yes, there's lots of talk to talk about the Holy Spirit. There's lots of talk about other things as well. But at this service, we remember Jesus' death because that's what's at the center. But it points us further back as well. As you will know, the Lord's Supper, when Jesus met with his disciples, was what was called a Passover. And that's a meal that Jewish people in Jesus' day, and still to this day, celebrate once a year to remember how God rescued his people from Egypt The night before he brought them out of Egypt, he told them to get together, and they would have a meal which involved bread and lamb and all sorts of other things. The lamb there was a sacrifice, that's important, bread and lamb. And they did that. Each year, they acted that meal out to remember how they'd been rescued from Egypt. And Jesus took that meal with his disciples and said, you remember how God made a promise to you, a covenant with you, a binding promise that he would keep? Well, he says, this bread, this blood, this wine is a new covenant in my blood, not a lamb's blood, in my blood. So I'm kind of underlining everything from the past, but I'm also giving it a new focus, which is why now Christians we do look back to that rescue from Egypt where we've got something even more wonderful to remember, which is Jesus' death for us. So that's the first direction that Jesus' death anchors us in. It makes us look backwards. It also makes us look forwards. Paul says this, verse 26, Whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. When Jesus shared that meal with his friends, he said, I'm not going to do this. I'm going to, you, you keep doing this. I'm not going to drink wine again until I drink it new with you in God's kingdom. He said, there's a future date. I don't know when it is. There's a future date when God's kingdom will break into our world. Until that happens, keep doing this. When that happens, it'll be a different party altogether. That'll be a real party with a real banquet. This, at the moment, this is just the starters. So, the bread and the wine not only point us back to Jesus' death and beyond that, the rescue from Egypt. It also points us forwards and tells us where history is going. Jesus is coming back as our king and our saviour. And we're heading there. Now, why is that important? Because it connects us here and now with the past and the future and says this is what the world's going. You see, we live at a time when we're probably more aware of what is going on in the world than ever before. But are struggling to find the meaning. We don't know what what the events in our world, how they fit together we can't predict them. When something unexpected happens, we reel slightly. Even when something we know is coming, like the queen's death, we've known that's going to be coming for quite some time, it still makes you stumble a little bit and think, whoa, wasn't expected. How do all these things make sense? Well, Jesus' death, the bread and the wine, that stands at the center of human history. That means that here and now, I don't need to know the dates of all the kings, and Queens. I don't need to understand world politics. I know the line of God's salvation plan running through human history. I know that when we break bread and drink wine, I'm part of that salvation story. So it centers us, if you like, gives us a place in history. So it makes us look backwards. makes us look forwards. Third, it makes us look Upwards. Have you seen how Paul keeps talking about the Lord, the Lord's death? And it's called the Lord's Supper. Why? Because Jesus isn't a remote figure. We're not trying to sort of capture something like King Arthur that keeps slipping from our fingers. Jesus is present. He is king today. He is seated in the heavenly places. And when we break bread and we drink wine, and I'll say the words that Jesus said to remind us, it's as though Jesus is saying them here and now, today. He's saying, here it is. Here is my promise. And in in bread and wine, I'm giving you a promise that you can taste and smell and touch, a real 3D promise that doesn't just exist in your brain, it exists on your tongue, and you you can feel how wonderful God's promises are. And it reminds us. And that's why it's a very good habit when you take the bread and the wine that we pray. Because we're connecting with our Heavenly Father, our, our, our heavenly Father, our Lord Jesus, right now, here and now. So it lets us look backwards, makes us look forwards, makes us look upwards. It makes us look around. And this is where it starts to have some sharp edges makes us look around, first of all, to a watching world. We, verse 26 again, whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Well, who do we proclaim it to? Well, I guess we could say we proclaim it to ourselves. That seems a little bit not very proclaimy, doesn't it? I mean, we're not proclaiming very much tonight. Last Last week, we thought about how church happens visibly and invisibly in the supernatural realms so of who are watching us and i guess we could say once again we're telling the spiritual realms we're existing jesus won we are fruits of his victory so i guess we're proclaiming it there but we're actually telling our non-christian family and friends our community our culture our society jesus is my lord Jesus is my king and my savior, and he died for me. So when you get to school or college or work tomorrow and someone says to you, what did you, what did you do last night? Don't go all shy. Don't say, oh, finally caught on episode, of, episode three of Rings of Power. Don't, don't, don't sort of do talk about what you're going to do later on or what you did earlier this afternoon. Remember that you're being given an opportunity to proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So we proclaim it. But there's another way in which it makes, it, makes us look round. And that's looking round church this evening. Because what, that's what the Corinthians were getting so horribly wrong. They were thinking about something which was a spiritual blessing for them. And they had no concern for any other Christians in the room. And that was what was going wrong. So Paul talks here about divisions. And he also says some divisions are necessary. He, he talks elsewhere about uh, some people who were engaging in different kinds of immorality. And he says with such a person, don't even eat. With that person, you should not sit down and have a meal. But with sisters and brothers in good conscience, you should sit down and have a meal. And instead they're not. Instead they're doing something which is just personal and private and it fragments. You know, I think, sometimes I think the biggest, most positive change we could make to the gathering would be to make sure it was a decent meal. And a decent meal with a meaning so that we could say this is about Jesus' death for us. For us. But we must recognize each other as the body. Paul talks about um, discerning the body. There's a, there's a couple of little funny little phrases. Verse 27, there's one that uh, might trip you up. So then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. What does that mean? I think that means this, that The bread and the wine kind of have a meaning which they wouldn't have had otherwise. And because of that, to treat it lightly like they're doing, just taking it like, well, I'm ready for the bread and the wine even if the others haven't arrived yet. This is just me, not for them. By doing that, they are not discerning just how important it is that this meal is about Jesus' death. For his people. More than that, if you cut down a couple of verses, I think it's even clearer. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. Now, I think it means this. The body there, I think, means other Christians. And they're not discerning the body because they're not recognizing that other Christians are really important. Now, I, I am, I'll be honest with you. I'm going out on a limb on this one. Because there's long Christian tradition about the bread and the wine becoming different in the service. With various kinds of intensity on that and different words. But they're different. So, discerning the body means having the right understanding of what's going on, and seeing that it somehow supernaturally becomes the actual body of Jesus, or the actual blood of Jesus. I'll be honest with you, there, there are loads of Christians in the world who will have that view, and that is the view they will take so they will show extreme respect for the bread and the wine as God in material form. Let me tell you why I think that doesn't quite work, or at least how I think this whole thing fits together. Today happens to be our wedding anniversary. Ah, yeah, I know, flowers, please, not, not the R, okay? So this, on this finger, I have got a bit of gold, not very expensive gold. So when, however many years ago, I do know, but I'm just not going for that one, I said To Sharon, I do, and she said to me, I do, and I slipped this, I slipped the ring on her finger, and she slipped the ring on mine. Did that ring change? No, I don't think it did. I think it still stayed exactly the same chemical ring that it was. But it changes its meaning because of the promises we made, because of the words that we spoke. We treat it differently. It is really still just a piece of not very expensive gold, isn't it? But we treat it differently because of the meaning that it's now flooded with. And I think the same thing happens with the bread and the wine. There's still just as much bread as they were, but they kind of get this layer of meaning associated with them. So we don't treat them as merely bread and wine. We're saying this is bread and wine with a meaning attached. And how we behave together around that really matters. So, what goes on? Well, let me take a bit of, take a bit of bread. When Jesus says, this is my body... I'm going to be—I'll be a little bit disrespectful, okay? But to lighten the mood a little bit, imagine you've got one of those cartoon First World War generals who's reminiscing. oh, I remember the day back in the day when we did this and so. Uh, he, sitting down after dinner, he sits there and he says, "Right now, this salt cellar was me. This pepper pot was the Boche. This mustard was the French." And he's saying. These things, the salt, the pepper, the mustard, they are, for the sake of this exercise, for the sake of the argument, they are the French, the Germans, me, whatever it happens to be. And so Jesus says, this is my body. Now what the the general then says is, so we moved here from here to there, and Jerry moved from there to there. So he starts to move the salt and the pepper and mustard around, To do things with it, to show how things work out. Watch, he says. Watch how they move around. Now, Jesus says this. This is my body broken for you. Get it? He's talking about what's going to happen 24 hours later. He's saying, if this is my body, it's about to be snapped apart, ripped apart, and you are going to benefit from it. Have a piece, have a piece, have a piece because what I'm about to do is going to benefit you. So we look around, because if we don't discern the body, if we don't discern the people, we're trampling on what Jesus has done. We're saying, I know that Jesus died for me, but I really don't think he died for you. I don't treat our unity in Jesus as being so important. I'm going to treat you as a member of the body. That's quite hard, isn't it? Which is why the last way, the fifth way we look, is inside. He says this. Verse 28. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. And he talks about eating and drinking judgment because God looks at our thoughts and our attitudes towards one another. Even in that church, it looks as though he's saying that some things that happened to them, uh, illness and so forth, flowed out from this judgment. We can't make that kind of stark statement today, I don't think. And I think there's some other stuff going on as well. But he's saying one of the key parts about communion is that we look inside. Not to say how good I am, but to say all I am is the person that Jesus died for. When I sit around this table... I'm saying I'm a forgiven failure, and so are you. That's what makes belonging around the Lord's table. So it's a good practice as part of the Lord's Supper that we look back, we look forwards, we look up, we look round, and we look into our hearts as well. Let's do that as we sit. Well, Jesus, in a few moments' time, we're going to do what you said, and we're going to break bread and drink wine together. But you have clearly told us that we are to examine ourselves. And so in the quiet now, we bring ourselves to you. We ask you to point out our lack of love, our lack of forgiveness, our lack of kindness, our lack of truthfulness, a lack of concern for other members of the body. We ask for your forgiveness, and we ask that you will help us to gather better.